This is a Clark University podcast. When we think about something even as simple as a park, an urban park, it means multiple things to different people. And people can come together and share the park. They can share it as a protest space. They can come together and share it as a space to play a game of some kind, an organized sport. They can share it as a place to come together and eat food and sometimes even prepare food together. But not everyone at all times will agree on that use of space. And even when people come together to use it, there may be other users who have a use that's in conflict. So we have to always be trying to see a space from a different perspective if we want to really understand it. How do we think about space? And then how do we think about designing spaces? And I would differentiate those because there's not a singular way to think about cities because cities are multiple things all at once. As a geographer, I'm interested in space. I'm interested in how we create places or imagine ideal places, but we're kind of always problematizing the idea that we can come up with something that works for everyone. Imagine living in a utopia. What does it look like? Perhaps it has ample green space for recreation or a sleek design fueled by the latest technology. Urban planners commonly use utopian thinking to create what they believe will be an idyllic locale. What fascinates geography professor Deborah Martin about utopian visions in urban planning is that the concept overlooks the definition of the word. Utopia's etymology comes from the Greek for know and place. So how do planners strive for perfection when constructing urban areas? Deborah says it's a complex process. It's actually really hard to design spaces. I think the best kinds of design are those that do not prescribe how space should be used. They may be trying to accommodate a certain kind of use, thinking about a train station, you know, there's certain necessities there. You have people getting on and off trains. You got to have a way for people to get there. You have to have a way for them to get on the train and you have to have a way for the train to move through that space. So there's certain things that are necessary in the design of that space. But people might also want to use the space differently than you plan. People might want to get something to eat before or after they're on the train. They might want to meet people there, even if they're not getting on and off the train, just because it's a central place that people can find. They might want to use it for multimodal transit. So is it connected to buses? Is it connected to cars? Is it connected to bikeways? Is there a safe place to put your bike there? So trying to always think, okay, have I thought of all the ways? And there's also going to be ways that I don't predict. And so I think design actually is problematic around space, urban space, because we're trying to design for something we may not have imagined yet. And a lot of design fails that part of it, not having imagined yet how somebody is gonna wanna reappropriate the space for something else. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. This semester, Deborah is teaching a course about planning cities for the 21st century. They're exploring why people approach urban design and policy from a place of utopian thinking, which begs a larger conversation about our perception of cities and how they form and function. Well, I've always kind of been interested in thinking about the history of thought. So most of my classes are taught with attention to 
a starting point in history. The meaning of utopian is Greek for no place. And there's some debate about whether Moore meant it um, ironically or cynically that there could be no perfect place. We look at late 19th, early 20th century writings about cities and how to have the best kind of city. The cities of the future would be laid out to a master plan. Streets and buildings no longer haphazard, but harmoniously related. The skyscraper in itself a useful form would still appear. One of the first pieces we look at from that is Ebenezer Howard's Garden City, which was early, very early 20th century. And um, he, in a sense, is rejecting industrial cities and saying that we need uh, cities that are planned to be separate from uh, factories and that will have lots of green space and walking and residential community and kind of simple, common retail center. Again, we sort of talk about what's good, what's bad about that, and debate, is it possible to have utopian thinking? We talk about what are the things we would want for society, things like equal access to housing, equal access to health care, uh, ability to work in a job where you feel fulfilled, ability to express your opinion. It gets complicated pretty quickly, even if we start talking about social needs rather than social space. What we see is that what's utopian for one person, what really makes the world work well, uh, might not work for everybody else. When we think we know what people need, people need green space, then we prescribe green space in a certain way. Even looking at the history of parks in America, for example, I think a lot of people think parks are a good thing to live near, but parks themselves have been a contested space in terms of our parks for play, our parks for sitting, our parks for noise, our parks for music. Um, there, you end up having a lot of potential conflict over what people might think is good for everyone. In the early development of parks in the United States, the options were more limited. Yeah, like the Boston Common or Elm Park in Worcester, where some of the ideas for those come from Frederick Law Olmsted, who believed in parks as having a civilizing influence on people. He was uh, writing and thinking at a time when there was a lot of immigration to the United States, a lot of different cultures coming together, and the ideas that it would he didn't use these words, but contribute to assimilation by helping people kind of come together and know the best way to behave in public. Determining what urban design components satisfy the most people ultimately becomes a conversation about values. One early reading that we do, and going back to some of the things I said about social stuff, uh, less about the physical use of space, is a planner by the name of John Friedman, who in the year 2000 published a piece about the good city. Here's Friedman, known as the father of urban planning, speaking in 2016 at UCLA, where he began teaching in 1969. We have to think very carefully about what sort of values uh, we, um, we want to, uh, to further in in the world around us, in the world with which we interact. Well, the oldest one is social justice and the whole question of equality and, 
and inequality and uh, how to have a more egalitarian uh, society that is inclusive of all uh, different modes of living. You know, we need to meet people's basic needs. So sometimes that ends up being a conversation about universal basic income. Should everybody have universal basic income? And then we get into the discussions about how do you pay for universal basic income? And is it an incentive for people to not participate in society? So even things that seem like we're creating a common set of values about base common needs that every human person has, we have disagreements about how to meet them, whether we can meet them. And even the notion of how do we participate in society? And is that something we incentivize people to do? People are aware of how a space makes them feel, but don't always understand why. This becomes even more challenging when building for the future, because the future is unpredictable. As technology continues to evolve, so does the way we live and how we use space. We don't know all the ways that people will use space, and we don't know all the ways, for example, that something will happen societally that will change the ways the space can be used or will be used. Being open to surprises, to alternatives, which to me means if you're designing a space, designing multiple ways in and out, designing for change, designing for awareness of the environment, not just human use. What do I like about this space? If I could do something differently here, what would it be? I think people intuitively know this, but they don't always sort of stop and say, oh, I'm gonna notice it now. And I think just the idea of noticing, like what is the space I'm in like right now? What's, what's being created by somebody to produce a certain result in me? I think it's a great way to sort of be more present in your world and be more, well, certainly to be more geographically aware, but also be sensitive to the subtle ways that people design space for us. And so we have to not just be suspicious of efforts to do that, but to try to anticipate the different ways and the different needs and the different attitudes that people bring to being in the world and using different kinds of design spaces. There isn't one way to interact and go through space and be in the world. I think our goal is to question how we use space, what creates value in space, and to think about other ways that value can be expressed in space. I'm always interested in sort of thinking historically about how, how something came to be. You know, in society, we have lots of different users of space and the way we interact socially affects our abilities to use and be comfortable in space. For example, how a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 17-year-old or a 26-year-old or a 66-year-old, the same space is gonna work for all those different ages really differently. The same for different culture groups, different ethnic racialized groups how people are seen and expected in space and how the space is open to users um, who have different expectations of that space and of each other is important. To learn more about geography at Clark, visit clarku.edu geography. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>